Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Casaz, welcoming in for the weekly Q&A episode here, Chris Anderson. Chris, what could you do with 13 seconds? <laughs> uh, stall and not answer the question. That's about it. That's That's the extent of my abilities in 13 seconds. Man. Pretty, uh, I don't know. I guess I haven't watched the best brand of football in the past couple of years, but every now and then you put your eyes on the professional product, and everybody loves college football for various reasons. But man, you realize how high level the NFL stuff is sometimes, and you think, well, there's no way this team is going to win with a minute left, with 35 seconds left, with 13 seconds left, and all these things happen, and you kind of get refreshed and realize, wow, these guys are, are the best of the best that make it up from this this silly, crazy sport that we watch on Saturdays in the fall, and all of a sudden there's a whole new world out there, and man. I feel like that was going to be a hard act to top, but there's still three more games left, too. So that was, uh, I don't know, thanks to the Bills and the Chiefs for restoring my faith in football. Yeah, that was that was some really good football, some amazing plays. And you kind of got, you still see the uh, the mental lapses for some guys. And I guess it just, what is it, what do they say, separate the men from the boys in that one? Because you just saw guys that just, some guys making play after play after play after play. And other people kind of wilting under the pressure and making mistakes. I mean, that one uh, defensive back who uh, it looked, he got basically had his ankles broken for that. He got first. kneecapped. Yeah, and and the thing was was he was already playing like I think he was only like four yards from out of bounds, yet still fell for the fake out move like that guy was going outside like where was he going into the stands to catch a pass why are you why are you turning your hips like that and getting your feet all jumbled up and and, you know well that's why you ended up on the ground because for some reason you're playing deep outside coverage and still thinking someone's going to go even further outside into the bench I guess I don't know and then of course the no squib kick with 13 seconds left like probably Broke a couple special teams coordinators' minds on that one, but is what it is. I'm just glad we got some great football this weekend because I, I felt like that NFL playoff weekend last week, the wild card was kind of blah. So this this was a good a good bounce back there. Yeah, these are always the most competitive games. Like it's usually your best their best there, so good for them. Um, I think that, I think we actually have squib kick questions in our mailbag, so I don't even want to get into that. <laughs> That's how good that game was. It bled over into this. Like this, this, what we do on this is we'll we'll go to our VIP board, which you can join free, not free, free of much effort, but uh, or time constraints. You just go in, plug in some numbers, you're good to go. Um, but we put this up on a Sunday morning. Hey, ask your questions now. We'll get to them in the in the Q and A on Monday. And then typically, I don't know. There's a, there's a rush right away. There's a couple more a little bit later, and you might see some more in the evening. Late on in the last night, and then again this morning, and then a lot of more NFL questions too. Yep, 
typically doesn't happen that way too. So again, inspirational football, I guess. Um, can't say the same about college basketball right now, at least here. <laughs> uh, less is more. I think there's some questions in there, but West Virginia lost three in a row. Big game on Wednesday, Oklahoma. And then like the easy game outside of the conference against Arkansas on the road. The Big 12 may be sorting itself out and and the inclusion of West Virginia in there toward the bottom of the conference probably isn't a good sign for the Mountaineers, but they got some time. They got some problems, but they got some time. I think that we'll cover a lot of that in the mailbag, which just leads me to this, Chris. Let's cut the intro right here. Get into the questions and answers. What do you think? Sounds good. Uh, right, no, no rhyme or reason to this. I'll just kind of pop through different ones as we see uh, again. This time we got a few more today, so we will answer several. And then I'll follow up in written form tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning with the rest. Um, right off the top, Christian Shuck, 96. Is traditional recruiting dead, whereas NIL will take over with, quote unquote, buying recruits? That's like the, the quiet part said out loud. And I think that there's going to be some sort of a rule. It needs to be at least at the conference level. Schools are doing it. I get that, but they don't have to because there's nothing above that. There's no conference level. There's no NCAA rule. There's no national rule, but there's got to be something from at least the conferences or maybe the Power Five or whatever. Group of five, Power Five, maybe the NCAA. But the whole just giving someone money to come to your school or stay at your school, that can't happen. There's got to be some sort of um, quid pro quo kind of a thing where I give you the money and you give me the service. That's just typical trade. So... I don't know why that wouldn't exist here. This is the problem that they had. They created this problem by not putting rules in place. This is the same thing over and over, but I don't think that's going to be an issue. It is an issue now for sure. Like you're seeing it happen. But until there's some sort of legislative fix, that's going to continue to happen or it's going to continue to be used as leverage to pull a player away um, into the portal, out of the portal, whatever. And that is going to harm traditional recruiting. I would think the bigger threat to recruiting in the traditional sense is just the transfer craze. Like you, you really have to, you have to keep an eye on not just the organic high school transfers, but you have to keep maybe as much attention on the portal and quick fixes too. And I think the the problem beyond that is look at West Virginia. Like Huggins wants to recruit and develop players who may not be good until their second or third or fourth year on the campus. The expectation now is you got to be good right away when you get a kid on campus because that's what it is. Like you're either getting high level recruits in the Big 12, really good transfers, and if you're not getting good recruiting halls or, or, or portal halls, all of a sudden you're not a good coach and your teams aren't as good. And then people cast out upon you on that. So sure. The NIL thing is a threat. I think the portal and, and the, the repercussions, whether real or perceptionally, that's an even bigger problem for people. Yeah. I was it, I guess it was last week when they, uh, the coaches and, and the schools were discussing the playoff expansion. And there was a sense, especially among coaches of, Hey, Expansion sounds great, but let's figure out this transfer portal and the NIL thing first before we worry about another money grab uh, to expand the playoffs because there are serious issues here. Um, the transfer portal problem is, is it's a problem and it's a new avenue to recruit players. So is traditional recruiting dead? Yes, it is dead. It, I mean, it's not like the way that you remember it 20 years ago, even five years ago is dead you are going to continue to see this trend of you know maybe 20 years ago it was like 199 percent 
high school recruits, maybe a couple junior college players, maybe one transfer every three years. And then it started shading a little more towards junior college players, a little more transfers, a little more, a little more. You're going to continue to see that trend, that that kind of move away from high school kids. It's going to be harder and harder. You, If you are a high school recruit, you have to be better now than you were 20 years ago to get a full scholarship. Hmm. Because recruiting in that sense, and junior, that goes for junior college players too, the recruiting in that sense with the transfer portal, the limited scholarships, unless they figure out the scholarship situation, it's going to be more difficult for a high school player to get a full scholarship. Um, secondly, the NIL thing is a problem. It's a problem not because I think that the NIL is bad. It's not a problem. I don't think it's bad that players are making a few bucks. But there's no rules. There's no, I mean, we're even seeing it kind of transform and grow and mutate in, in front of our very eyes. We saw it last week. I mean, we're seeing these schools. At the beginning, you saw a little bit of a wave of, of, of deals and money. And then it was kind of, there are no rules. So people are kind of dipping their toes in the water. Hey, maybe, maybe I can try this. Maybe I can try that. And now that's why we're seeing these trusts pop up at various schools and various websites of just the the, the floodgates. I feel like are opening now because they just realized, wait, there are no rules against this. We this is just another way for us to just flat out funnel money to the players. And I think that's going to open the floodgates for a lot more quote unquote buying of recruits um, or, or buying to what is it? What do they call uh, retain? to retain players. Um, and it might take a couple years, uh, hopefully not a few years, only a couple for somebody, some entity. Again, I think last week I started to say the NCAA and changed my mind, but some entity to step in and set some boundaries. Yeah. That's, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah. I also like the fact that there was a really good story on 24 seven this past week about coaches and their recommendations for the portal. It was all anonymous. Yeah. Like, who's afraid to put their name on that? It was really good intel, too, like good information. But, like, there's a lot of people who have an investment in this, too, and they should be the people out front. But then again, here, again, not to spin it back to Huggins, but how many times does Huggins talk about being involved in a legislative process or a, a problem-solving, rule-recommending process, and nothing that they recommend or put forward actually gets put in the books, too? So it can be frustrating, and that, that could be why you're, you see people discouraged even before there is an outcome. Speaking of Huggins... This one oh, from Cole, eighteen sixty-seven. Um, is this the year that we see Lions intercede and quote unquote encourage Huggins to bring in a new hire to install a functional offense? Um, I let me lessen the harshness of that, the severity of that question, and just ask: Is is this? We have seen this offseason, assuming we assume that Lions interjected into the yes. Neil Brown coaching yeah. staff. Yes. Could he do something similar with Huggins or is Huggins earned, you know, I don't want to say he's on a pedestal. He's earned it, that spot. Is he not untouchable, but is that someone that, that Lions can kind of push or strong arm into making changes? Fantastic question. There you go. Yeah. I don't know if I, did I lessen the severity or did I make it worse and more difficult for you to answer? I think that you put the the mittens on and handled it delicately. 
right? Which is yeah. good because this is not. These are not the same. There's not. Reason being, if if basketball has stagnated, it's still one, right? It's made it to the postseason. It's won postseason games. It's very recently has played a, I mean, whatever whatever adjective you want to use, but let's just say a non-aesthetical offense, right? It could be better. It could be more exciting. The the shots don't go in. The points don't light up the scoreboard. That's been that's kind of been canon for how long now? A couple of years, right? I mean, right. going back to the press Virginia days, but they they made it to, to Sweet 16s and they they darn near won the Big 12 a couple times. And sure, so you, you can say, hey, what you're doing isn't working, but it has worked. Consistently, no, that's an issue. But also when you look around like college basketball and the, and the, and the conference even, what, you, what you're seeing with West Virginia is a lot like what you're seeing with other teams too. And are the reasons the same? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think that, again, I think that you have coaches who are good defensive coaches and you have so many new people on teams, whether recruiting or transferring, that it's hard to be good in offense. It just is. like That takes a lot of cohesiveness over time, probably measured in seasons and not weeks. But you can get good in the season, and maybe that's not the case. But the, the just just to say that, well, Neil Brown isn't winning, therefore he has to change because his style isn't effective. Well, you can't say the same about Huggins because he has success. So that's that's not um that's not a perfectly overlapped argument there. Now, can you say, hey, listen, I've seen too much of the same critique, too many of the the same struggles. I've heard a lot of the same evaluations and explanations from you for far too long right now. Um, why don't we think about looking different and how we can do that? That's reasonable, I think. And but I also think that like Huggins and, and his staff probably want to do that too. And again, don't just don't forget last season in the middle of the season, they changed what they did on offense. They became much, much more modern. Now I'm not sure they're not this year. They're just not making the shots at the quality the quantity they were before. Like last season, they made a much higher percentage of three point shots down that final what 18 19 games than they have this year and and bridges isn't as good and sherman's been not himself until maybe saturday so don't don't get too caught up in the recency of what happened in football should transfer to basketball and don't forget that what happened in basketball last season was way different than what happened before like people were surprised that it changed as much as it did last year for whatever reason it hasn't happened now did they revert did huggins just ball up and throw away the offensive game plan from the final 19 games last season? I don't think so. I just don't think the parts have worked as well this year. Now, you can get into a conversation about what this is going to look like in the future, and then maybe you can be proactive with some sort of a change. That's interesting. But I understand the question, and I think the most interesting part to me is, like, how how does Lyons figure himself into this? Because he, he definitely was involved in football. I'm not sure he started it or finished it or mandated it or whatever, but there's no doubt that he did what an athletic director does and grab the steering wheel for his football program. Have to do it. Does he think he can or should or will do that in basketball? But that's my question, too. I don't know. My thought on the the it seems like there's a push here because I think there was another question in this mailbag about changing assistant coaches on the basketball team. And my first response was. What difference would that make? I don't feel like this isn't like football where, you know, the offense is the offensive coordinator's identity. The defense is the defensive coordinator's identity. Yes, there is some input from the head coach, but the offensive coordinator runs it. The defensive coordinator runs it. You can change all the assistant coaches you want. 
that's not going to change the way that West Virginia basketball is going to run their offense as long as Bob Huggins is coach. Um, for better and worse. I mean, I, there's some things that I like, some things I don't like. I mean, I've, I've been very vocal about not uh, particularly understanding why they're still pushing uh, this thought of building a post presence with, you know, a pair of six foot six guys who don't have a low post game. But it, I don't think changing assistant coaches is going to affect that that much. Am I? It's is it different than football? Like I'm saying, you're not bringing in a, an option guy or an air raid guy or an I formation guy. That that just doesn't really exist as much in this. I do think that. I think what you're saying is right. Yeah, to answer that, but also, kind of just it's also like you're targeting a players too. Like you have such a smaller landing zone for recruiting. I mean, a, a large class in college basketball is like what five or six guys. Mm-hmm. Every year is twenty five or or more in, in football. So you, you can you can hit more, and I understand there's more people on the field, but like you're talking five versus eleven, whereas having five times as many hits in recruiting. So that's that makes me think you had much more exact and perhaps you, you look at things because again, if you had to be more immediate in impacts from your recruits and certainly your transfers, then I don't know. Are you, are you targeting the right people? Are you going to the right high schools? Are you looking for the right skills? Hey, this guy could come in and redshirt and, and you know, maybe he's good in three years. Can you afford to do that when you only have 13 of these and you might be losing a couple of them every year? I think reimagining the acquisition process for talent is, is a big part of this too, because you don't have time to really get guys rolling into a motion offense so that they're good in their second or third season together. You're not always going to get that luxury. So that's a big deal. And in the portal thing, exactly. Um, it is an issue. I think you have to look at There's a question here. We'll get to about like West Virginia's portal success versus other big 12 teams, but it's also the first year they've really done this too. So you can't imagine they're going to be perfect at it, especially when they've been like reluctant to add transfers too. So there, there's a confluence of factors here that just don't work for them right now. You know, having to develop people, having a lot of players, that's that's hard to practice and play because you have well, 14 now. Um, brought in guys who just, frankly, don't fit what they want to do. I mean, if they had gotten guys who were back-to-the-basket players, then that probably would be a better path to work what they're trying to do. But they got guys who were running, like, pick and roll and playing above the rim and cleaning up loose balls around the basket, not guys who were posting up. And you're going to ask them in their you know fifth year in their fourth or third school to start throwing in hook shots and up and under guys. That's hard for them to do. But you have to try because that's how they want to play. So it's it's crazy. Everything's spinning in different directions, and very rarely do they do they line up at the right time and the right place to work. And that's that's by and large been the explanation of their offense this year. Okay, so we've talked scheme, we've talked coaches. Uh, Yidio Ten asks, is it time for Huggins to make changes to the starting lineup? If so, what would your lineup and rotations be? I don't think you do because if you start Curry, where's your offense coming from on the bench? Yeah. So I don't think you do that. That's working almost to like, I don't want to say to a detriment, but it doesn't work within the flow of the offense because he's doing a lot of individual stuff. You don't see him dropping it off to bigs of the basket. You don't see him stopping and kicking out to three-point shooters. So he's kind of a, a break glass, score points kind of guy. I would not have him starting because I don't think that helps your offense. Um, and then you just don't know what you don't know about. I mean, I don't know what the deal is with Oconquo, but like <laughs> if he can't redshirt, is he worse than what's going on? Don't know. And Jai, I don't know. Can you blame him for being out of sorts, being the fourth guy off the bench in the first half against a Baylor team that was determined to pick on West Virginia's post players? 
I have a hard time holding that against them. But I haven't seen these guys in practice, and I haven't heard great things about them. Every time they, they say NGI practices well, they put him in, and he looks lost. So that's not good. I'm not sure there's a, there's a wealth of answers on your bench. And again, the one that makes sense would be starting Curry. I think that just totally screws up your scoring continuity and reserve. Yeah, that was uh, before the season. That was my prediction was that Curry was going to start that I had heard that he was, you know, the not amazing, but that he was winning or was the better performer at that point guard spot ahead of Keedy Johnson. Now, Keedy has his pluses and his minuses, just like Curry has his pluses and minuses. So I when I read the question the first time uh, last night as I was prepping for this, my first thought was, yeah, I'd put Curry in the starting lineup. And then I got to thinking and came to the same conclusion you did. If you put Curry in the starting lineup, who's coming off the bench to score? I mean, is is there anybody on the bench outside of Curry that can score points right now? No. I think the answer is like none. Like literally, like, yeah, I mean, dude, let's talk about who's – if you move Curry to the starting lineup – here are your bench players. Keedy Johnson, Gabe, Polly Polycap, Demon Kerrigan. I mean, that's the answer. Like, <laughs> you know who's, I mean? who's scoring points? Like, those four guys combined, I'm talking like maybe 10 points. You might get double figures if you add all four of those guys together. Um, so I, I don't know if you can. Uh, now, on the, on the big man front, I... I, I been pushing the polycap thing. I mean, he's not as good as I, I had heard he was. Uh, he also pluses and minuses. Uh, I think it hurts that he was said to be six nine and is actually six six. Uh, I think that's that's not going to help when you're playing big men. But he does. I wouldn't mind seeing him start and maybe bring Cottrell off the bench. Not so much as a knock on Cottrell. But maybe if Cottrell is coming in as a bench guy, you can run a little more offense through him because I do think he has some offensive talent. I do think he, I, I think he could score. I, he's not a very good low post score. His his hook shots, and maybe I've talked about this on here, but and Huggins made reference to it one time. But when you go for a hook shot and you go say to the middle of the the go over your shoulder so that you're going to the middle of the lane. You should be gently tossing the ball just over the front of the rim. That way, if it hits the front of the rim, it bounces and goes in, bounces and hits the back and the backboard and goes in. Whenever he does a hook shot, he is like almost spiking it like a volleyball player. There's no finesse on it. That's why, even though he's three feet from the basket, majority of the time, his shooting percentages are so bad. Um, but he can shoot it. He can shoot mid-range. He's got you know, range out to three, uh, three point land. But I think you can refine, just get a little softer touch. Cause he's got decent footwork in the post. The touch is just not there. So I'd love to, uh, see him come off the bench and maybe if you're dead set on making a big man, you know, establishing a post presence or establishing big man touches, maybe that's one way to kind of ease him into things is, is to bring him off the bench and, and put a little more focus at that point. Uh, one thing I want to add to, um, we talk about this a bunch. Baylor has great player development. They they hit transfers at a very high rate, and it's easier now because they are they're national champion Baylor. But they were getting transfers for a long time that became good players, and they used that one year sitting off to the side to just acquiesce and become very good players. But they also had guys who were like 
red shirts who came in and didn't play or people who played barely. But, but by the time they were juniors or seniors, they were very good players. And last year's roster is a perfect example. A lot of seniors, a lot of transfers and guys who sat out for a year or guys who just went to the program. They have a player development coach um, who's been there almost as long as Drew has. Jared Nunes, I think, is his name. West Virginia does not have a player development coach. Think about that. Like a major college basketball program doesn't have a player development coach. You have a strength and conditioning coach. You have assistant coaches who certainly know what they're doing and a head coach who certainly knows what he's doing about skill and development. But I wonder about like a dedicated person who's in charge of that during those offseason workouts and things like that, that he's not a coach, but like he's one of those support staffers, an analyst, GA, whatever. You have them that that capacity off the field, off the court, however, sport, whichever sport you want to look at. But here's someone who's a player development coach. That doesn't mean he's an assistant coach, but that's what he does. He's a strength and conditioning coach. He's a player development coach, skill development. And there's nothing like that there. Thought bubble here, Chris. Is that is that lacking in a major program? I, yeah, you have to be able to adapt. And I think that's a good spot. You know, when you look at the football staffs, you're seeing guys add. Uh, director of player personnel, scouting for transfers, all these different positions because that's the way the game's moving. If you are going to end up with 15 kids on a roster, 15 scholarship players, and yeah, normally it's going to be 13, but you're not able to play 13. You're not able to play 15. Um, You're going to have guys that just aren't going to be on the court playing. You need to have somebody that's working with them all the time because there's only so much time you can give those guys also during the season when you're practicing like you're not going to want to spend a bunch of time if you're bob huggins and and the main coaching staff you're not going to want to spend a bunch of time trying to teach you know the the fourth string forward how baylor runs their offense or how you should be cutting and going to the lane you need to focus on the guys that are actually playing on the court and trying to win that game that weekend so yeah if you have somebody that can be dedicated to those guys who are likely going to redshirt or those guys who are, you know, like, like with the football team, how they have the, the Sunday night lights, right. Or Monday night lights, mm-hmm. uh, whatever one it is. And they have all the GAs, all those guys work with them extensively and set up those games and those scrimmages just for those guys to play. Um, you know, I don't know if I'm, do I sound like I'm calling for the old days of where you have a JV squad and a freshman squad and you go off and play, you know, Hargrave Military Academy varsity team or something like that. I don't know, but you got to find ways to get those guys some kind of reps so that they're not completely rusty and, and, and are developing for the future. Yeah. I mean, I'm going, I've gone through other big 12 staffs. It's not, it's not on every staff. And sometimes yeah. it's a player, it's a guy who does different things, but I just don't, I need to have a director operations and they have a special assistant to the head coach, but someone who's specifically in charge with like player development, skill development, that's that's not here, and I wonder about that sometimes too. Because again, if you're if you're trying to get players and develop them over time, it's hard for staffs because of recruiting and then the time they're not allowed to be on them. And like, like you said, preparing for a season when you're not using all 14 guys, what purpose can those guys have unless they're just the other team or a scout team? That's that's hard to imagine. From BT68, is James Aconquo going to play this year? No idea. Has he already played this year? He has played two games. Okay, just double checking. I, d- I don't know what happened there. It wasn't the time or place to press it. Um, I will endeavor an answer, but I don't know how they can possibly try to redshirt him medically because of what they said, which was kind of, you know, that, well, we wanted to play him, but we don't want to burn his redshirt, even though he'd already redshirted. I don't know if Huggins was just thinking about seven or eight different things instead of, you know, the 14th guy in his bench right now. That's understandable. 
but also perhaps he's on track to be a medical redshirt and knows he's not playing anymore and didn't think about him out of sight, out of mind. I don't know, but he's definitely played two games. He cannot redshirt in the traditional sense. The, the rule for college football where you can play four games and still redshirt does not apply to college basketball. There was one that was proposed in the summer and never went anywhere. Even if it does pass, the NCAA is not expected to apply it retroactively. And if you're going to take a medical, you can only play in a certain percentage of the games in the first half of the season. And right now, Okonkwo would qualify if indeed he has some incapacitating injury, which I don't know about that. That'd be, I, I, would, I would need to learn more about that. Yeah, that's why I thought I think somebody was asking early on if if he would play, and I felt no because uh, I feel like with the red shirt, the medical red shirt, you really kind of have to play your games that that allotment of games you're allowed to play at the beginning or at the end of the year to kind of keep up with your story of being medically incapacitated, as you put it. So him showing up, playing a couple games in the middle of the year, and then going back to the bench, that's going to be a little harder of a, a, a of a story. I mean, it does happen. You know, we've seen it all the time with guys that are trying to come back from an injury too early and then have to go back to the bench. Who knows? And like you said, it could just be, does Bob Huggins, who's in the middle of a season, really, you know, is doing like his fourth interview of the week, talking about the 14th guy on his team and what's going on with his situation. So yeah, it could just be a slip of the tongue. Who knows? But um, not sure if we do see him the rest of the year. I mean, I, the way Bob Huggins talked about him in the preseason, I believe, I don't, I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head, but more or less said he was like the best big man, the the bounciest, or however he phrased it, something, some kind of superlative that made it sound like Okonkwo was ready and able to play. This was before he got hurt in the preseason. But uh, so if that's true and if he's healthy, if he, if he's good enough to play right now, why are you? This is something we always talk about, but why are you worried about that fifth year in two thousand and twenty-seven? Like, if he's still going to have eligibility then, right? And if he's Who not cares? playing, perhaps right. he's not physically able to play too. It could be because, right. like, what, what what's in front of him should not be keeping him off the floor, right? Yep. So maybe that's it. I will I will ask a question. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Um, moving on. Let's see. Where do we want to go? You want to, here, tell me, football or basketball, Mike? Which way do you want to go right now? Let's stick with basketball. Okay. Some strong comments from Huggins. I'm going to paraphrase, paraphrase a question here from Little McCoy 03. Um, we all know Huggins has a tendency to do this each year when he's trying to motivate guys. But he also made specific mention of, quote, moving on without certain guys. Um, anything particular you're hearing? Any reason you think that, that he went that route? Because I'm with McCoy. I'm trying to think of when, you know, Huggins has uh, essentially said, like, we'll cut guys if we need to. Um, has he been that strong in the past? I'm just not remembering it. What, what do you think prompted that kind of comment? Eric Murray drove him crazy. 
<laughs> I remember that. Eric Murray drove left a lot them. of people crazy, though, so to be <laughs> fair. I remember they left him home for a game in Brooklyn against Michigan, and I'm pretty sure that was Michigan in Brooklyn. But And then, you know, here's a guy who started and played okay, but was certainly kind of like a, a reputable addition to the team, people thought. And then I remember asking about him after the game, being like, hey, um, the way you're talking, this sounds kind of permanent. You know, he's not here. What does that mean? And he said, I've left guys way better than Eric Murray at home. Why do you think I care about Eric Murray? And uh, Eric Murray didn't last much longer. I think he made it through that season, correct? Yeah. So sometimes the writing is on the wall. I think that Huggins is always going to try to help the players. Even if a guy's on his way out, um, he's going to try to help the player and, and play him and, and keep him involved. And listen, we know you're gone, but let's try to do this. And there have been exceptions in the past where like a kid had told Huggins or the staff, I want to transfer at the end of the season. Can I please play? So I'm not sitting out next season as well as this season. And that's happened. Um, I want to name names. That's happened. So there's there's situations like that that I think he's always going to try to help the player. So yeah, man, you could you could definitely look at things and say that he might be thinking of next year without a guy. But a lot of those guys they might not be here anyways that he's thinking of. Um, probably filling your blanks there, but I think what you're seeing with playing time and and usage that probably probably fills in a lot of the blanks there. I think when he cuts somebody in the middle of the season, you're kicking a guy off a team for not practicing well or not going to the practice facility or something that's just performance related and not behavioral or rules. I don't recall that. And I would, I'd be surprised if that happened. If there was something behind the scenes that, that came up maybe, but I don't remember anything where he pushed somebody out during the season because they were a knucklehead or they weren't rowing in the right direction. Rules trouble. We saw with, uh, I mean, I, I assume that we saw that with Wes Harris and Issa Ahmad a couple of years ago, and he was not happy with either one of those guys. I think more so Harris than Ahmad. But that's the only thing I can really think of that's similar. And that was kind of out of nowhere, too, wasn't it? That wasn't something that you like. You saw the smoke for a while before that. But all of a sudden, one day, now the one's in the team, and you're thinking, oh, that's probably the best example I can think of. I don't remember any type of like foreboding language before that. Yeah, I think I, I inferred the cut comment. But here, here is Bob Huggins' exact quote oh, yeah. from his postgame radio for those, those w- wondering. Uh, quote, we need to grow up. If you can't make a free throw, then get in the gym. If you want to be part of a team, you've got to help that team somewhere. If you're not helping the team, then why be there? That's pretty much what I told them uh, in the locker room. You guys that really don't want to help, then why are you here? We've given a whole bunch of guys a chance. I think it's about time that if you're not going to contribute, then why would we carry you? That's where I am. I have more for you. Because that was on the radio, right? Right, yeah, that was radio edition. So Huggins was... Was, from what I understand, Huggins upset about, well, one, they put in the 1-2-2 zone because Texas Tech couldn't shoot yes. very well, and they get a lot of their points inside. 1-2-2, you can kind of like pack line it a little bit, keep them from getting in the paint, and you surround the guys at the rim. If a, if a team wants to get its stuff at the rim, that's a good way to get around it. And it worked. But Huggins was pretty mad about some of the execution, and, and he said that, like, I don't understand why it's so hard to, to guard a zone, and when your guy cuts through, pass him off to a teammate, pop out, guard someone else. And he said, we've done that for years and years. I've never had guys who didn't understand how to do it or didn't want to do it. And then, and I think he said this on the radio too. So someone told me this, this would have been yesterday, Sunday, but I think he said this on the radio too. So you can, you can help me out if you said more, but they put a set in on offense because they found something on film that kept giving mm-hmm. Texas tech trouble. And I guess Huggins called it a handful of times and it, never mind that it never worked. They never ran it like one or two or three or four or five parts just forgot what to do. So his whole thing at the end was that we're putting stuff in and it's not working. People aren't paying attention. How are we going to get better? 
that's a good point. Like if what you're doing isn't working and you're trying new things, but people won't do it, how do you get better? So he says, the reality of it is, it's like anything else in any other line of work that anybody else would ever be. And if you continue to not do what you're asked to do, you're probably asked to leave. I haven't done that. <laughs> so that's kind of like bright bold lettering, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe, he maybe I that. didn't infer anything. Maybe that's, he kind of yeah. just came right out and said it. Yeah, and then so basically like, you know, if you're if you don't want to be here, why should you be here? Like if, if the purpose of here is to want to get better and you're not doing that, why should you be here? I think I think playing time is the most punitive thing. I just don't know how he can do that without weakening the whole. And he's really loyal to his whole player, his whole unit of players. So if, if benching or not playing one person hurts the team, I wonder I wonder how serious he is about that. Like, I think a lot of your your decisions that are that drastic, they have to wait until the end of the season unless it's very bad. I don't think it's very bad right now, unless unless I'm totally missing all the smoke signals. All right, I'm going to flip off of basketball now and and go to football real quick. Uh, where was that question about the... Oh, yeah, there you go. JAL, one, two, three, four. Does WVU have the least production from portal transfers in the Big 12 this season? Mike, do you think it's that bad? It's up there for sure. Don't forget, like everybody did really well in the portal for the for the Big Twelve. Um, I <laughs> That's had what I was going to say. I I sorry to interrupt. I was thinking the same thing. I don't think West Virginia has done terrible. It's just that everyone else in the Big Twelve has done really well that needed to. I mean, Baylor's not big on it, but oof, it's a strong strong transfer class in the Big but Twelve. Baylor had the best transfer in the Big. Oh, 12. I, sorry, I'm talking football. This was football. Oh, is it football? I thought we were doing football. basketball. Yeah, yeah. Well, basketball too. I guess we could talk about, but this was a football related one. Ooh, um, both of them. Well, basketball, it's a conversation. And then West Virginia is probably near the bottom because they didn't take as many as many others. And they've really only gotten major stuff from Curry. Um, everybody else has done something pretty well. I got like marquee transfers or starters or leading scorers or something like that. That hasn't happened to football. I haven't looked at as much. I know that the number is pretty small compared to everybody else. Right. I think it's the lowest number. If I'm not uh, mistaken. Well, Baylor's the lowest, but I think that was concerted. You know, that, that was they're just not putting focus on that. So. Well, they have a pretty good young roster, too, that just right. won the Big 12. So, yeah, <laughs> forgive them. Yeah, but again, like, they what, if they, what if they took eight people, but they got, like, a starting linebacker and a starting, I'm trying to think of the four positions they added, running back? Running back, cornerback, tight end, or blocking tight end, yeah. and then the defensive lineman, Lawton, who's, you know, kind of young, young Development. guy. Development, okay. Yeah. So what if, they, what if they took eight players, but they got three starters? Just now, right? That's pretty right. good. They took four, and they got three starters, probably. Like, I don't know what the corner is starting. We'll see. But he's good enough, I think, to start if just based on his surroundings. I'm not saying he can go into any campus and start, but, like, I don't see what would keep him here or who would keep him here from starting. Lynn J. Dixon, probably good enough to start. Will he start? I don't know. Uh, Palendi? Podledney? Yeah, I mean, that's your TJ Banks. Yeah. I don't know if you call it. Yeah, I mean, part-time starter, half starter. Yeah. That's okay. But they're not, they're not in the market for a 50-catch tight end. They're not going to get a 1,500-yard running back, and they're not going to get an All-American Division One All-American cornerback. So, I don't know. Relatively, that's fine. Th- this question is 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 not asked if they have more players that are that have signed, but if they have signed more players, do they have more like countable, like worthy additions than they do now? Don't know, but they think that would make people feel better. Th- this question is best answered weeks from now, um, after spring football, when they start to do some work. And, and again, I, I think that makes sense, too. Like, they, they've got to be good about transfers. They don't have the best record on transfers. It's, it's, there have been some good ones. There's been some bad ones. They've had transfers 
who have transferred. You can't do that. So to be exact and to not make mistakes and to say, all right, we have, what do you think, Chris, four or five more transfers? Yeah. Like, that's fine. But, like, if they can do with the next four or five what they've done with the first four, that's great work. But be exact with those and make sure that those four or five count and they're not people who transfer. They're not people who are here and just, like, wait around for a while. They don't need backups in some spots. They need hits. So there might not be enough out there that work. They might have tried to add more, but I'm okay with what they've done now. It's not exciting because they don't have a big number of newcomers you're going to see in the spring. But you're probably going to get the same number, and ideally for them, the same number of what we think are hits after spring football at different places when some players realize, I'm out, I need something better, where can I go? And West Virginia can say, well, we had our spring football. We knew this was a weakness. It still is a weakness. Let's fix it. Or we didn't know this was a weakness. Nowadays, let's go fix it. All right. So this one from Rokier ear, Roko ear. Does the NFL need to change the OT format? And an addendum from me, if so, what would you change it to? Yes, change it. And then I would love to hear ideas because I've heard a lot of people complain about it. And I understand it. And I agree. I don't know what the best idea is. So unless there's a perfect idea out there that everybody can get around, I don't think it should change until we have that. So what is, I don't know. Um, I just don't think that you could watch yesterday's game. And, and we talked about this already, the, the high level of, of plays, drama, all that, and say, you know, it'd be awesome is to let Mahomes go down and score and then have him go shake Josh Allen's hand. And Josh Allen never gets that hand on the ball. That's not fair. And I'm sure the Bills feel the same with their offense. And I would think that the Chiefs and their defense feel the same, too, because the best way to decide that game is to, hey, the Bills defense couldn't get it done against one of the best quarterbacks ever. Can the Chiefs defense get it done against a guy who looks like he's on track to be a really, really good quarterback, too? That's how you decide this. You got to make sure that both offenses and defense and even special teams have a stake in this too. And that wasn't what we saw at the end there too. So four great quarters comes down to one possession and no answer. I don't think that's right. When you have an AFC championship bit in line, what to do after that? I don't know. I don't know. I've heard a whole bunch of different ideas. I don't like necessarily the, the college football idea old or new, I should say for college football. I, I like the idea maybe of, of giving one team a chance to decide if they want the ball or the other team decide where they want the ball. That's an idea that kind of makes some sense to me. If I could have it explained a little bit better, I might be more for it. But I'm not very good at the idea phase here. What do you think? What's a good suggestion for replacing and, and doing something better? Well, we started shifting in the way that I'm thinking. We, I think we take the next logical step. We went from flip a coin. Oh, okay, you win the, the coin flip. You go 30 yards, kick a field goal, game over. Now they added, hey, you have to get a touchdown, not just a field goal, and it's game over. How about both teams just get it, but you get the point coin flip. It's a, it's college football rules, but from your own 25, basically. Um, I, I'm saying you get two, everybody, each team gets one possession and you can match, you have to match what the other team did or exceed it. And if you match it, then you move on. I, I think, again, in this scenario, if this were to happen last night, Kansas City goes down, scores a touchdown, and kicks the extra point, goes up seven. Now Buffalo has a chance to go down and score a touchdown, kick the extra point and tie it, or go for two and win it. But if they do not get it, that's it. It's over. Um, and again, it's it's not that drastically different than what they're doing now. Uh, and it's not the full, hey, let's add a whole hour onto the game, unless 
unless they just go back and forth and keep tying each other. And, and I'm not saying one and one, and then it, you know, like say they just step kept. I'm not talking about just trading touchdowns forever. It goes, Kansas City scores a touchdown, Buffalo scores a touchdown, and ties it. Now it's next score wins, uh, mm-hmm. no matter what that score is. That that way, if you're Buffalo and you can decide after you score that touchdown, all right, let's go one and tie it and then hope we get a stop. Or you say, screw it, let's go for two and try to win the game right now. Uh, I think that could create some interesting decisions because, you know, maybe they don't tr- uh, don't trust that they can stop Kansas City if Kansas City gets another try and go from there. I think it's it's a pretty logical next step of where it's already moving and isn't that drastically different from where it is. So last year, the Ravens had the idea of the spot and choose. Don't have a kickoff. Do the coin toss. The winner chooses where to spot the ball to start overtime. The loser chooses whether to take possession or not. Hmm. I don't even like that. No. <laughs> but that has some traction among like this this like football fan media crowd that, that can be influential. And the Ravens are, have put a bunch of proposals ahead. But that's different. It would be exciting and strategic. I don't know that. I don't know. I, I want a playoff game decided like that either. I don't know. It's 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 got to be better than what they have. I kind of like your idea. If they get three, let them go get three. If they get seven, let them go get seven. And then you really start to play sudden death after that. Yeah. So like a, a two tiered or the second tier of sudden death. That's OK. I like that one. Um, next question. Salty dog. Eighty one fifty nine. Why did the Bills not squib kick with 13 seconds left? So I didn't watch it with the with the volume on. Did they talk about this live? I also did not have the volume on. Okay. So, <laughs> so I don't know, but I thought for sure that we would see like a sky kick. I, there was no chance they were going to kick it to Hill. Knew that. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not even sure who's out there, but I was like, this is going to go all the way to the end zone, or they're just going to like, like whatever. They're not kicking this to him. They're going to do something though. So squib, maybe I don't know. But one thing is that like, 13 seconds is not a lot of time, even to go 75 yards. Like I get that they did it, but like, man, that's that's still a Herculean kind of thing for an offense. But um, squibs are hard. I, did they kick one out of bounds earlier in the game too? The Bills. Uh, I'm not sure. Someone I, did. I can't. I was remember. in and out like, on the game. It's it's a hard thing to do. It was cold. That ball's a rock sometimes too. Even if you get your own ball at the sideline, hard ground. Who knows? But like, I'm I'm okay with even. I just said 13 seconds isn't a lot. You know what else isn't a lot? Like nine seconds. Yeah. And these kickers are so good now. They're so good. Like, hey, put it in the stands. Great. But hey, why don't you put it on the two? And kick it so high that we get our guys around there. I don't care if it's Tyreek Hill. Like, surround him. I don't care if it's Miko Hardman. Surround him. Like, we'll we'll get this guy. Like, these kickers are way too good. Like, I just don't believe that those kickers can't do that. And they both have good ones. I would much rather seen, like, a sky kick that he's got a field, like, on the one or the two or maybe a yard in the end zone, whatever. But just to take the risk out of it, I guess, makes sense because a hill – I don't like the squibs because anything can happen there. I, who knows what happens? I'm just not sure. You, you get it to a tight end, and maybe he covers it at the 35. Um, it takes one second off the clock. They still had two seconds, and they kicked the field goal, right? So hindsight's great. Squib sounds good now. I would have much rather just try to, like, kick it high and put it on, like, the one in the corner if I could or something like that. And I don't think those kickers are incapable. They're all so skilled. I think they could probably do that, and they probably practice that a ton, too. Yeah, I did have volume off, so I didn't hear the discussion about it, but I was thinking squib kick the entire way. I mean, I, okay. there are ways now. I think when when you say squib kick, you hear people, oh, my God, you're going to kick it, and then they're going to get it at the 35. No, 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 no. 
I'm t- there are these kickers are good enough that they can squib it hard and it'll go all the way down to you know the five or ten. I mean, yeah, you want to kick it away from Tyree Kill, um, but just absolutely wasting zero time. I think that was the second best answer. A sky kick is good too, but because you don't want to kick it out of bounds and you don't want to kick it to Tyree Kill, um, so they picked one of the two okay options in my mind. But man. Uh, yeah, like you said, hindsight fifty fifty or twenty twenties, all that. So hindsight fifty fifty. You know how good am I at this stuff? At numbers, hindsight's fifty fifty. It is. <laughs> I think the, I think touchback was the wrong answer. Yeah, but still, it's just thirteen seconds, right? Just thirteen seconds. Hey, right, Chris. A little longer than thirteen seconds for us, but shorter than normal too. Yeah, we'll wrap it up. And again, I'll, I'll answer the rest of these questions in written form, put it up Tuesday morning. Um, we got a boatload of recruiting stories from visitors. Uh, put the buzz up this morning. Uh, we'll have individual stories with all of those guys and more set up throughout the week. Uh, Mike, what you got coming? Basketball. Mm-hmm. Is it too early to think about the NCAA tournament? Might be. I mean, this is in their face all the time. They confront these numbers daily, so you can certainly ask the players and the coaches about it. But they're they're kind of in the they're in the jungle right now. That was a tough three game stretch, but let's let's be honest they they've hit ruts in seasons before, and this certainly feels like one of them. And, and how do they get out of it? How fast do they get out of it? We'll see. Wednesday big game, Saturday big game, then all of a sudden it's at Baylor again too. So this is going to be tricky. That's a big one. And then we'll talk about some of the collateral damage, real or, or imagined, about the country roads trust and um, what that might do to IMG and their tier three properties, what that might do the Mac and their fundraising. Got some questions. Maybe we'll get some answers. And Chris, that's the first time that we actually mentioned country roads trust on the show. It is. It won't be, it won't be the last. I'm sure. Will not. Until next time. I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.